28. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they are all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire and set upon them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language and they were all amazed and marveled saying one to another behold are not all these which speak Galileans and how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born verse 12 it says and they were all amazed and were in doubt saying one to another what meaneth this Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand while I get a drink of water so I can kill a little time. Just let you know as you're seated. Um, thank you for allowing me to take my wife for the last couple of weeks to New Mexico. I seen her when she got in that no humidity, have be completely pain free from arthritis, and uh, she actually walked faster than I did. And so it was it was well worth it just to see her for that period of time. I'll do that now. Don't worry about me moving there. There's nothing about West Texas or New Mexico that's appealing to me outside the fact that there are a lot of antelope there. And uh, I do like antelope. Uh, antelope tastes like sage, grind that meat up. To, oh, well, anyway, we're, we're preaching here. Right. We're talking about the miracle of Pentecost. Let's, let's, let's look at a miracle. Now, while I was gone... I, I take a lot of time when, I, when I'm doing nothing but driving. It's, I'm a dangerous person to be driving because I meditate a lot on everything but what I'm doing. And uh, I meditate on the Lord, and he, keeps, he gives his angels charge over me to keep me in all my ways, bearing my car up lest I dash its bumper against somebody else. And uh, <laughs> so I, I, I contemplate things. But uh, in a book that was written in 1934... A man by the name of Harold Horton uh, gave a description of the term or definition, if you would, of the term miracle. And he wrote this. He said, through carelessness of thought and casualness in Scripture examination, much mist has gathered around the reality, uh, or I'm sorry, around the really very precise word miracle. The very richness and resilience of our English language has helped to increase the intensity of this mist. Now, I want you to note that. I want you to get this. He said that the way that we describe or define the word miracle is shrouded in mist. We're not seeing a miracle clearly. Now, again, while I was gone, I was, I was really meditating and praying about this. And he goes on to say... Miracle is a word used to denote the non-natural, beyond natural, 
supernatural order of things. Okay? A miracle, therefore, is a supernatural intervention in the ordinary course of nature. A temporary suspension of the accustomed order. An interruption of the system of nature as we know it. Now, if you get all bent out of shape about what I'm about to do, just remember I've been gone for two weeks. I've been sick. I got sick Saturday coming home. Sick. I mean, I got in the car. My wife was driving, thank God. I got vertigo so bad I hadn't had that kind of stuff for six, seven years. And I had to stop and go in a hotel room and lay and wallow around in the bed wanting my wife to give me attention. <laughs> and this is when I had this revelation. You know, in the midst of fever throws, you can get, when you can't eat, you know, and so I could say, okay, I'm fasting, God, because I can't feel like eating, so I'm fasting, right? Does that, does that count? Oh, it doesn't count. If, if a miracle is the suspension of the natural, again, what I'm about to say, you, you won't, you've got to pick this up. You've got to think. Oh, by the way, I went to Roswell looking for aliens just for you. They don't exist. They didn't have any. No aliens. Now, there were some on the Walmart. They had them all over Walmart. Um, I went, if it's a suspension of the natural, then if a person is sick, is not that a suspension of the natural order of things? You better think before you answer that. That's very good. Is that not the opposite? Is there not an antichrist? Is there not an anti-miracle? The natural order of a body that is made in the image of Christ, full of the Holy Ghost. When there is a sickness within that body, that is a suspension of the natural. Anybody want to add to that? Have I completely clouded your vision? Are you thinking at all? One thing I've learned about teaching, if you don't make people think, they just stand there or sit there and go to sleep, and you've got to shake them up a little bit. I hate that. Don't you hate people? To say, especially when they snore. Billy gets snoring. I can't understand it. Go ahead. Well, to me, my mind was kind of like yours. Scary. Oh, my. I've got to go pray. What? Go ahead. Okay, and with that, if that is a suspension of the natural, when we open our, our, our minds to the wrong, we take wrong steps, we do things that are completely contrary to God's Word, then we open ourselves to an anti-miracle within our own body. 
you reap what you sow. Bible says that. So then if you do everything, and we know this to be the case. We've seen it time and time again. The Bible speaks of iniquities being passed down from one generation to the other. You've got children, and, and you've raised them in the church, and you've tried to do everything right, but then all of a sudden you have an anti come your direction. And you do something wrong, and you can do it wrong for just a, a, a short time, and you can plant some bad seed that you will reap later on in those children. Okay, so going back to what I was saying. If then a miracle or anti-miracle, if you would, a suspension of the natural. I'm made in the image of God. I'm full of the Holy Ghost. I've got a sickness in my body. I cannot ask God. And, and this, is where I, this is where I'm going with this. The Bible speaks of the gifts of healing, plural, gifts, plural. The only time that you see that term used when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, period. So it doesn't talk about, and we've, I've discussed this before, and I've heard people say it, and maybe it's just semantics, I don't know, maybe it doesn't matter, but to me, when you, by words you're justified, by words you're condemned. It's not a miracle of healing, because what's happened is that if you've got sickness in your body, there is something there that's not normal, it's not natural, there's a suspension of the normal. That's where you go into the gifts, plural, of healing, because what you've got to do is bring back that which is normal to something that is abnormal. You've got to get rid of the abnormal. And you have to ask God, bring me back to the way that I'm supposed to be, created in your image, full of your spirit. Do you understand where I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this? This is this, because understanding a miracle and understanding all this is vital for us to be able to understand what God did for us when he filled us with the Holy Ghost. Because we had a miracle, the greatest miracle that there ever was is when God filled you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost that gave you the power to overcome these afflictions. Now, it's easy to understand. I, again, when I start, when I don't feel good, I begin to say, all right, God, what, what is, now, you know, you can do and you can, I'm not I'm pointing my finger at you and saying that you're some, you you creepy sinner or something because you're sick. Because if that is, then I'm a creepy sinner too. So, you know, it's, it's all, but I'm saying that I always look and say, all right, God, I've got this. What did I do wrong? This is Robertson's, how I handle it. I need to go back and fix something somewhere that I've allowed something abnormal to come into my life. Something has been suspended in my life and I need to go back and figure out what it is. There again, I know you don't get healed of old age. I know there's, there's problems that comes along with that. I understand all these things, but I still, that's just my way of dealing with it. I, I like to go back and, and so far it's been pretty effective. Because I go back and I say, all right, God, what, what one of these gifts of healing do I need to get everything back to normal again in my life? Because I don't like feeling this way. I don't like having something that's not there. Because I, and when I pray for healing, I say, God, I am a child. I am your child. I am full of your spirit. And there's nothing unclean that belongs in this temple. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Do you understand where I'm going with this? Okay, now let's, let's look. Let's, let's just, we've talked about miracles here for a few minutes. Let's look at Pentecost, the promise. And it should coming up, be coming up behind me. When God makes a promise, God is always good at fulfilling that promise. He will always fulfill the promise that he's made. He does not negate that promise unless you do it first. Because I can take you in Scripture and show you where it talks about a breach of a promise. 
And the only time that God will breach that promise is when you go completely against what you're supposed to do as a child of God. So there again, we go back to the fact that if there's some area in our life that we breach, which all of us are guilty of, there's nobody any worse one way or the other in this church than anyone else when it comes to doing things that we should not do or making promises to God that we should go ahead and, and, and follow through with that we don't do. <coughs> Excuse me. So then going back and trying to find that area and fix that breach that we've made because when we breach it, God breaches it. And God has a right to breach a promise. But if we're doing everything right, then what we do is we have to understand that there is no way, even though it may seem that God is not going to follow through with what He said, there is no way that God cannot follow through with what He's promised if we are doing our part and following Him the way that we should. There is no way. In fact, uh, He Himself says, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. Selah. Psalm 89, 34-37. Now the Old Testament, again, is replete with references that are relative to the coming outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So God throughout the Old Testament gave promise after promise of what we have today. This power that's in us that I think we, we take for granted. How many times have you really stopped and thought about what God has done for you? Not only did He give you resurrection power through the Holy Ghost that's going to change this, this mortal body one day, but He gave you power in and through that same Spirit to overcome all the problems of life. You can be an overcomer. That doesn't mean that you won't be tempted, but you can be an overcomer. Whatever temptation that is put before you through the power of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, you can overcome that problem. You can look the devil in the eye. You can look sickness in the eye. You can look temptation in the eye. And you can know that you can truly overcome each and every problem. Listen, friend, I'm not just talking to be talking. I'm telling you what I have seen personally in my own life. I know what God has delivered me from. I know what I've seen other people go through. And I've seen the Holy Ghost deliver them as well. Praise God. Are you being mean, Brother Robertson? I think I am. I think I am because I, I cannot stand to see somebody say, I cannot overcome this when they have got the same thing that I've got in my heart. I'm not telling you you can't fall down, bloody your nose, hurt yourself, and do all. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that there's a power in you that can cause you to stand right back up and say, yes, sir, I failed, but I'm not going to allow this to be terminal. I'm not going to allow this to take me down. I'm not going to allow this to take me out. I'm going to continue to serve God. I'm going to give it everything I have. Yes, I've made a mistake, but I can't overcome. I, I told some of the some of the ministers this morning. <laughs> going back uh, in Roswell, we we stopped at a Sam's to get some gas, and I, I did think of you when I was in Roswell. I went around and said, "Where's Area 51?" You know, of course, it, it's a big tourist thing there. In fact, 
I got this picture. We were stopping at a restaurant, and uh, there's some kids out there all dressed up like the chipmunks, Alvin and all those guys. So I told my wife, I said, well, you know, I said, go out there and let them get with those chipmunks. Let me take a picture. And I said, I'll send it to the kids. No, I'm not doing that. I said, oh, come on. I said, it's for your grandkids. You got to do that. So she did. And so I sent this picture back, put this little addendum and said, your grandma with aliens at Roswell. (laughs) 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 Anyway, we were at Sam's. When I left, you know, you always, I told you, you meditate, you ask God, God, I, you know, I want some good solid directions. We got, I told you we got some, a few things that we need, we need in the church and areas that we need to, you know, financially we need to get back in line and, and, you know, I had been praying this and just, you know, just me and my wife had really been meditating on it. I'm, I'm standing, you know, all these Sam's, if you've ever been to them, get gas, they're lined up, especially, you know, you got people lined up. So I'm there putting in gas fast as I can. And this guy that works at Sam's, he's a younger guy, walks up behind me. Now, I didn't even know he was there. Walks up behind me, and he said, do you have time for a word of prayer? And, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of, you know, shocked. That just doesn't happen at some place like that unless God's... And, and I turned to him, and I say, I said, you know, I said, I pastor a church, and I've always got time for prayer. And I said, you just pray. I said, I'm just going to let you pray for me. I said, you pray. And this guy prays the most beautiful prayer in Jesus' name. And, uh, and I turned to him, and I asked him if he's, if he's received the Holy Ghost. He said he has. But I know that I got to, I got my, my wife there. She sat in the car. She didn't even see this happen. And I get in the car and I tell her about it. But it, it was like, it was a start of, of God letting me know that my prayer, my meditation, he'd heard through the voice of somebody that had, didn't have a clue who I was. So, so I'm saying, you know, God has a way. Of, of coming about it and letting you know, no matter who you are, that whatever promise he's made, and it can be, I, I want you to get this. Don't miss those little, and we'll just call them the small voice or the still voice, small still voice, that, that occurs in your life that sometimes you can get in such a hurry that you miss it altogether. Those ways that God allows you to know that He still knows what's going on. He knows where you are. We can get to looking for something so intently that we can miss God's letting us know that He's already heard us. We can want something so big, something so large to happen in our life that we miss that God has already taken care of so many small things in our lives. And when you begin to take care of the small things, the big things take care of themselves. And so, so we see the promises of, of God that he will, he will do this. And in the Old Testament, we see over and over, in Ezekiel, he said, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. In Ezekiel 36, the Lord made these assurances of the Spirit's indwelling more than 600 years before the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost. 
promised. He made those promises. When God makes a promise, He's going to follow through on that promise. He makes a promise to you. He'll follow through on that promise. Remember, always remember those little things that God has given you throughout your life to let you know that you're still on the right track. And for God's sake, don't get on the wrong track and mess everything up. I personally have seen men who have put in years in the ministry. I've seen people who have put in over and over and make one mistake, one mistake. And it's not a terminal mistake, but they lost trust. And trust doesn't come automatically. You can't say, God, I forgive me and church forgive me and build trust in just five seconds. It takes a lifetime to build it. It takes one minute to lose it. And then it'll take a double lifetime to rebuild it. You can count on that. God first gave His commandments written on tables of stone to His servant Moses. But He did not plan for His Word to exist only in the cold, hard stone of chiseled tablets. He knew that the people were not able to keep the commandments until they had them written in their hearts. In Jeremiah 31, He says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and I will write in their hearts, and it will be, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, how would the Lord accomplish this task of writing on the hearts of mankind? How would He do? How would He write the priest? of the Word of God on the heart of mankind. He would fulfill His promise by pouring out His Spirit upon the hearts of individuals who hungered for Him. More than 800 years before the day of Pentecost, the prophet Joel powerfully declared, and he said, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out My Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids, and those days will I pour out my spirit. Isaiah further clarified this promise of the coming spirit when he stated, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak unto this people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is a refreshing. Yet they would not hear. Isaiah twenty-eight eleven. He said throughout that Old Testament, throughout the prophecies of the Old Testament, over and over again, there's something that's going to come that's going to be better. Something that's going to be better. He said it through John the Baptist as well. 700 years before his arrival on the scene of Jewish history, John the Baptist predict, his, his predicted appearance was in the blueprint of divine revelation, Isaiah 43 through 5. John was the voice of one who was crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. He was telling them over and over, there is something good going to happen. I, I, what I'm saying folks is this, do not take for granted what you have here this morning. Don't take for granted what God has invested in you. Don't take for granted what God has given to the church. He is the church. What He's invested, my friend, in you is His Spirit. His Spirit makes up the church. We are the temple individually of the Holy Ghost. He's put a part of Himself inside of you. And He said He would do it for years and years, and it has been done. 
in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecies, John the Baptist cried out to the multitude that came to hear him where he was baptizing in the Jordan River. He said, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. Every time I read that scripture, I want to preach for an hour. That's as far as I need to go. Bring forth fruits, meet for repentance. You don't get down and say, God, forgive me. Get up and say, forgive me for all that I've messed up to everybody in the church or whoever it may be, and everything just be fine. There's got to be some fruits. That's what I just read. I have got to see some fruits. If he stole my flying saucer, then he better bring back my flying saucer. He can't just say, forgive me for stealing my flying saucer not me see, without me seeing any fruits. Restitution. That's an old, old-time word. Does anybody remember what that word means? Huh? That's fruits meet for repentance, is it not? Is that tr- correct? Restitution, make something right. If you stole money, take the money back and give it back to him. You don't pray through the Holy Ghost without making restitution. Pretty good, huh? Yeah, I used to be able to do this. Now, if my wife seen me do this, she'd get mad. Don't ever tell on me, please. Don't ever see. And Katie doesn't care because she likes to wipe my footprints off these. Now, you've got to make things right. In order to bring fruit. That, that, that's an old thing. You know, I see that in the church a lot. It, it's, 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 it's charismatic. Not only is it easy believism, but it's easy forgiveness. It's God forgive me on Sunday night. But not, we don't go to Monday morning anymore. That used to be the old thing. It's forgive me Sunday night at church. And then 15 minutes after church is over, going out and smoking a cigarette. Huh? Or, you know, you and your wife got into a big fight, and, and, and ten minutes after you get out of church, before you get in the car, you're back into it again. You're both sitting hands side by side, hand in hand. Amazing grace. And then time she gets out, she said, you old bald-headed knucklehead, what did you, what did you say before service? You remember that? Is that fruits meet for repentance? Huh? I'm not being mean to be. Boy, I hope I, that I, I didn't hit anything hard here. I didn't get in metal, did I? You know, that, that, that's not fruits meet for repentance. You've got to make it right. And when you come in here and you make it right with God, you make it right with the person. Again, we go back to it. Just everything is easy. You know, it's okay. Well, it's okay for you to go out and do whatever you, you did, you know, before. As long as when you come back to church on Wednesday, you say, God, forgive me again. And I'm not taking a nor am I making light of God's power to forgive. But I'm saying the Bible says that we have to have fruits meet for repentance. We have to show not only God, but we have to show others that we're serious about what we're saying here. God, help us to get to that point. Bring fruits, meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. 
For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And also the axe is laid into the root of the tree, and therefore every tree which bringeth, forth not, bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That sounds like hell. That sounds like hell. That's saying that if you do not bring forth fruits, meat for repentance, then that means you've not repented and you're going to be cast into the fire. Now, that's exactly what that's saying. So it's not a matter of just saying, forgive me and going back and doing something over and over and over again. I, I've said it before, and I know in my own life, and many of you will agree in your own, that there's things that we have trouble with, all of us do. Whenever you begin to see some item is no longer a sin, that you can't overcome it, you quit repenting of it, then you're in trouble. You know, until I repent, until I get some fruits <laughs> hanging on the tree here so I can say that, hey, listen, I finally got some victory over this thing. I'm not going to quit. But I do have to get some victory eventually. Or I'm going to wind up in this situation I just read to you. John the Baptist predicted that the Holy Ghost was coming, and through John, the Spirit ultimately revealed that John's cousin, Jesus Christ, was the long-awaited Messiah. And the Lamb of God, John 1, 29. Further, Jesus was the one who would depart and return believers uh, as, or return to believers, rather, as the Holy Ghost. Now, throughout the time of the Lord's ministry on earth, He often promised the coming of the Spirit, but He who was the product or conception by the Holy Ghost, Matthew one twenty, actually was God in bodily form, Matthew one twenty three in 2 Corinthians 5.19. And for this reason, Jesus emphatically stated that He first had to depart before the Holy Ghost could come uh, to the disciples. He said, I have got to leave, so because if I don't leave in bodily form, the Holy Ghost cannot come. Jesus was in one place. God was in a man in one place. But when he departed at the resurrection, then he could return and he could fill people all over the earth with this wonderful presence of God. I heard uh, Wanda Nightkirk one time make the statement, and, and you know, and I've always believed that some people take it wrong, but she said in, 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 in reality, she said, we are not Jesus, but we are like little Jesuses. And that's exactly, the, that's exactly right. We are like Him. We go about doing His work because His Spirit fills us. So we have a right. That's the reason He said what He did. The things that I do will you do and greater things that you do because I go to my Father. What was He saying? Because you'll do the things that I do. Well, that's, you know, I just had revelation on that. You know, when you, some of you that have a hard time with some of these people who can do miracles and all of it and don't live right. Now, I want you to know what Jesus said there. He said, the things that I do will you do, slash comma and greater things because I go to my Father. So in other words, we could do by faith miracles without the Holy Ghost because the greater thing was the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You understand what that was saying? He said, the things that I do shall you do or will you do and greater things because I go to my Father. The greater things is what God did when he filled us with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So greater things can come as a result of that. That is why that we are a part of a greater covenant. Because of what God has given us. That's why it is so 
It is so necessary to protect what God has invested in us. Now, 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 do you understand when I say protect? That's why we have holiness. Holiness protects. I have a standard, not because I'm trying to be better than anybody. It's because I'm protecting what God's invested in me. My, my holiness look, my holiness standard is, is, is a fence. Not to keep me away from people, but to keep that away from me. That's why I am the way that I am. Greater things. Greater things. So it's a promise. He goes on to say, John 16, 7, Nevertheless, he said, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So the Scriptures record Jesus preparing His disciples for the coming of the Holy Ghost. And on a number of other occasions as well, you can see in John 7, 37, 14, 16, 15, 26, Jesus reminded His followers of the coming promise of the Spirit. And one final time prior to His ascent into heaven, in Luke 24, 49, He said, And behold, I send you, or I send the promise of My Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. So this was the promise. And now it takes us to Pentecost the new birth. Pentecost, the new birth. And many Christians today have perverted the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I, I... You ever wonder why you do things that upset you, but you continue to do them? I I have got a really bad habit of that. I need to bring fruits meat for repentance for that. You know, it's like listening to preachers on the radio. I listen to these guys, and I listen to their their description, leaving out whole passages of Scripture. They don't even want to touch the book of Acts. You know, they stay completely away from that one. And, and they listen, and I, and, I, and I start ranting and raving. And I'm not helping anybody. Going down the road, ranting and raving to myself. Now, how can that someone believe something that ignorant? Now, how can how can they? But they do. They pervert it. But the Bible says this is going to happen. There are going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. It's going to happen this way. You know, and, and they attempt to. What happens is a lot of these people they attempt to weaken and cheapen it by misusing and misapplying its truths. And and fortunately, nothing can change or destroy the truth of the gospel. Nothing can. It doesn't matter. I don't have to defend this. It's going to take care of itself. God will take care of Himself. And Isaiah 48, He said, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Forever. It doesn't make any difference what they do and how they try to change it or how they try to pervert it. It's going to stand forever. Isn't that great? And because of, of distorted presentations of the gospel, many people in our day have ascribed to the the idea of easy believism. In other words, they wrongly believe that all a person has to do to achieve salvation is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what they fail, what they fail, and this is a problem, what they fail to comprehend is what true belief requires of them. If they truly believe on Jesus Christ, they will naturally embrace and obey all of His words. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Belief, belief necessitates obedient action. If I believe in something, then I'm obedient. I take obedient action to what I believe in. 
And if you don't do that, then you are fooling yourself. You know, the, the salvation message always includes genuine repentance, always. And it also includes obedience. It's impossible to preach the truths of Jesus Christ and the Pentecostal experience without the cross. You can't preach this without the cross. And the cross always stands for true repentance. The Lord's sacrificial death on the cross has both atoned for our sins and made possible the new birth experience. Without the cross, there would never be a new birth. Without the cross, there would never be a new birth. If a corn of wheat doesn't fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it fall into the ground and die, it bringeth forth much fruit. You have to have the experience of Calvary. Now, the birth of, of a baby requires the presence of water, blood, and spirit. Otherwise, the birth will go awry and the child will be stillborn. Jesus also revealed the essential nature of these elements to the new birth, the spiritual birth of a person in John 3. Now, in the shadows of the night, many of us know it's a very familiar story to a person that they've been in Pentecost in a length of time. In the dead of night, in John 3, a Jewish leader made a very secretive approach to Jesus with a powerful admission. And his admission was this. He said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him in John 3, 2. And Jesus replied to Nicodemus, a leader and a ruler of the Pharisees, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto, unto thee, he said, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God in John 3, 3. And Nicodemus revealed his amazement when he asked, How can a man be born again? Will he, will he once again enter the second time into his mother's womb in John 3, 4? In John 3, 5, and 7, Jesus answered. He said, Very, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh, he's talking about the natural birth, he said, is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Two different births. So you're born the natural. That's the fleshly birth. You're a baby, but when you're born of the Spirit, something different. Birth of the water and the Spirit is mandatory for salvation. A person can be saved only through the new birth, as described and commanded by Jesus Christ Himself. Being born again according to the Scripture is absolutely essential for entering into the kingdom of God, and no person is saved without it. No person has a choice with regard to his first birth, which was a physical. However, every individual has a choice regarding the second birth. That God gives us. We can choose to be born again and make it to heaven, or we can choose to be lost. That's our choice. You ever, you ever really thought? Um, you take John, the third chapter, the new birth chapter, and you get people who read down from one to twenty-one, and they'll get stuck on one verse. Anybody want to tell me what that verse is? John three. They'll get stuck on one verse. Oh, y'all know it. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Huh? Yeah. Shall not. They'll get stuck there. And they'll leave out all the rest of that chapter. They'll leave it all out. Now, it's interesting because 
we like that, and, and I'm certainly not taken away from John 3.16. It's a beautiful verse. It's become one of the most, uh, most quoted and beloved verses of the Bible. Uh, but, but it alone fails to define what is necessary to receive redemption from sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And admiring the beauty of John 3.16, it's vital that one not miss the exacting edge of Jesus' mandate in John 3.5. If we're to be saved, we must believe. But if we believe, we must obey the entire chapter and experience that, that, that new birth experience. And he goes on in John 7.37 to, uh, to explain it even further when he says, In that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He said, if you believe on Him, you should receive the Spirit. So John 3, 16, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. You've got to believe on Him, but if you're going to believe on Him, Jesus Himself said, you're going to receive. Believing and receiving is synonymous. You've got to have one and one with the other. You've got to believe, yes. Now, according to the words of Jesus, when people truly believe on him, according to the Scriptures, they will receive that personal Pentecost. In other words, they will receive the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. And following the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached his first message regarding Jesus Christ in the cross. And at the conclusion of his message, the crowd eagerly questioned, What shall we do in Acts 2.37? So what do we have? We have the best answer to all this in what, what Peter said. That there is nothing like... And it's not, there's nothing as clear and nothing like what Peter said in the second chapter of the book of Acts. And especially in verse 38. When verse 37, there was an honest question, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? Now... Why in the world would Peter, who'd spent three years with him, another, another uh, 40 days with him after that, he would know exactly what to say. Jesus had already given him the keys of the kingdom. Whatsoever, Peter, you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you be loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Peter would know, and he gives a clear and concise answer. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is just to the twelve apostles. The promise is just to them back 2,000 years ago. You need to look at it in Acts 2, 38, 39. The promise is unto you and to your children, to all them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. You cannot take that there and say it was done away with. You can't go to the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians and say where it says in tongues they shall cease when that which is perfect, last couple of verses of, of uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, you know, people take it there and say, well, see, tongues they were done away with. He said, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. What is perfect? And it's not the completed New Testament. Because if it was a completed New Testament... And poor old Paul died to see because he said one day he would see that which is perfect. And he died 20 years before the New Testament was completed.
Are you hearing me? This is the, this is the answer. I mean, it, it's great today what we're saying. You know, you, there was a time, there was a time when uh, you could argue to you. In fact, within, within my times of pastor, 20 years ago, you could argue with people about the speaking in tongues. I mean, you argue with them. They come up with everything. I learned some. I learned all this debate stuff. I used to listen to debate tapes till I turned blue. I've got that stuff so embedded in my brain. Now I can't even use it because I've figured out that debate's vain. Isn't that right? Good. It doesn't make any sense. It's still fun. But it doesn't win any souls. But, but, you know, there used to be they would argue with you and argue with you and you would take them to Scripture and you'd read Scripture and you'd read Scripture and they'd see it and they could not give you one Scripture. One Scripture to tell you that it, was, that it wasn't necessary any longer. But it wouldn't make any difference. That's why I make a lot of point up here to say this over and over and over again. You be sure and you check the preacher that he's preaching right. The Bible tells you to do that. You be sure that it's preaching right because so many people led astray by somebody who's convincing. The only thing that convinces me is what I read in the book. The book. Not a book. The book. The Bible. That is the only thing that I... Because you, you've got people... With, but now, now you know, nowadays, you've got people stay denominal, but they've got their little groups that talk in tongues. And I, I, twice, while I was gone, I did this again. Years ago, out on a on a fishing pier in, in Florida, I had uh, this lady walked out there, and she looked really holy. And so I was I always trying to make it. You know, she's by herself, and out there she was probably seventies. And uh, I went over and I said, uh, "You know, what church do you attend?" Catholic. So I'm kind of, you know, there again I'm stuck, you know. So. I, <laughs> I said, well, I said, I just want, and I, I, I said, I want to commend you on your, your holiness look. And she was so thankful that I did that. I, I, because that's why, but that, that's what attracted me. I wanted to see what, that there was a, uh, you know, Pentecostal church nearby, but she was Catholic and she had a holiness look to her. <clears throat> While I was in Springfield this time, um, I'm going through forcing myself for my wife to look at clothes. I'm forcing myself to look at clearance areas with fishing rods, that kind of stuff. And it was a really forced, hard, hard to do. And uh, this lady walks by. She's pregnant. And she's obviously holy. So I say, what church do you go to? Her husband's with her. Oh, Baptist church just down the road. So there I am again. And I said, well, I said the same thing I said uh, 15 years ago. <laughs> I, said, I want to commend you on your holy... And she was so... You know, uh, you could tell it meant something. Now, it's unusual, and I'm certainly not to, to see that, because you just, a lot of times, you know, I know in some of the Southern Baptists they do, but very seldom do you see that. And uh, I, I was... I, I, it just it made, me, it made me realize that you do have groups that are breaking out they're talking in tongues. And before we get too hard on them, let's let some of this guide them and lead them. You know, 
Because am I seeing something here? Is God letting me see something that, you know, I didn't, and I should have, I, 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 but I didn't ask if she'd had the, uh, received the Holy Ghost yet. But I, I should have. You know, is this what's going on? Is there some guidance here? I, I tell you, folks, people are not stupid. Uh, if you come to God, there should be a difference in your life. And if you're coming to God and there's not making any difference in your life, you're beginning to see that there's something lacking in your relationship. There should be some, some something that starts. You know, the Holy Ghost will lead you, the Bible says, and guide you into all truth. And, and as you receive it, let God lead you. Let God guide you. Let Him be the power in your life. No, don't push against Him. Just find out how great it can really be. There's nothing like allowing the Spirit of God to lead you and guide you into all the truth that, that the Scripture speaks of. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Now, moving on, and I'm running out of time, but I'm just going to look at Pentecost today. Uh, and and it is, it's wonderful to see the uh, fulfillment of the Scriptures in the last days, and we are in the last days, and we're, we're witnessing a mighty outpouring worldwide a mighty outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And, and through, through His Word, the Lord has spoken prophetically of pouring out His Spirit in the last days. And no person can thwart it, abort it, or prevent it. It's going to happen. His Word's unfolding before our very eyes as, it pour, as He pours out His Spirit over the whole world. In Mark sixteen seventeen it says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. And the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied of speaking with other tongues, Isaiah 28, 11, and 12. And further, Jesus Christ endorsed the matter of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance, Mark 16, 17. That's important. That's important to realize this is the Spirit. I don't seek tongues. I never sought tongues. I sought the Holy Ghost. And I received the initial evidence through tongues. That's how it works. And, and, you know, it's, it's wonderful. One Bible college student from Germany testified of the prominence of tongues in his congregation during World War II. And he stated that when he lived in Munich, Germany, there were times in the local church when the Spirit of the Lord was so strong that the entire congregation was singing and worshiping in tongues. It was like what happened on the day of Pentecost when about 120 believers were filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance all at the same time. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth, I mentioned it before from up here, uh, mentioned that oftentimes he would go to churches and he was an old Pentecost preacher. I'm not sure to what category he was way back yonder. But, but he said that a lot of times that they would all begin to sing in tongues. One side of the church would sing in tongues uh, like the Jewish choirs would do and the other side would answer in tongues. I, I, I've often one longed, and I, I've longed for that in a church. I, I thought, God, what would it take to get us there? What, how much fasting and prayer? How much giving? But we, you know, in any given service, you've got, you got. Well, a big part of it is we don't spend enough time in the prayer rooms prior to coming to service. And if you spend enough time in the prayer room prior to service, then you might find out that this could happen. But you know, we're so self-conscious. Who cares? Who cares? What would that do to a visitor to see something like that occurring? Now, see, you know, most of you, oh, I just don't believe. You know what? I don't care what you believe. I'll take you to the book and say, I, when Paul said, I will sing with my understanding and I will sing in an unknown tongue. I will speak in an unknown tongue and I'll speak with my... He said it. 
don't worry. There'll be preaching and people that are, that are not understanding the tongue. They'll get it. We don't have to worry about getting overboard here. We're way underboard. I'd love to see that happen. Just get, just get completely free. I'm a myself. You know, I can't remember the last time that I didn't. I stood up here without looking through the congregation, wondering where so and so was. Oh yeah. You know, you came out here on a Sunday night, a Sunday morning. Well, I wonder where they're. I wonder who hurt their feelings. Eldar up here looking for new converts. Sister Evans back there, you know, they're all looking where the new converts are. And we don't get free. It becomes becomes a job. You come to church and it becomes a job. And that's not what it's supposed to be. You worry about who you got to talk to after service because somebody got their, again, they got their feelings hurt. Pastor was gone for two weeks and 447 different devils came in. I have to do 400 of them today. I'll do the last 47 later. You know, that, that, you ever stop and think how many devils would just disappear if you get yourself in the spirit the way I'm talking about? I mean, you just get free. You forget old Wigner standing beside you, sitting beside you. You know, you don't care whether ignorant does it or not. You just start singing in tongues. Music can't even play anymore because of musicians are singing in tongues choir quits choir and they just sing in tongues preacher can't preach preaches in tongues oh that's out of order who said who put you in charge I'm in charge <laughs> you know are you, are you hearing what I'm saying this is what the Holy Ghost can do no I, I'm granted not every service would be that way but wouldn't it be great if we did have one occasionally I wouldn't mind, you know, I, I wouldn't mind having someone carry me out. I only weigh 200 plus. <laughs> oh, preacher's out in the spirit. Got to carry him out throw him in his car. Throw him back to the truck and his wife take him home. And then poor old Adam would have back trouble for the next six months, wouldn't he? Help carry me out. <laughs> You know, you, you say, "What do you?" I'm just, I'm just speaking the way things could be, the way things really can be. And you know, you've heard me tell the story uh, in Palau, and again, I've had a lot of people ask, want to see the same thing. And I had that one time happen to me. I'd like to see it again, where a Filipino boy that could not speak English, when I baptized him in the Pacific Ocean, came out praising God in English. And, and I was still too stupid to figure it out until Helga yelled at me and said, He can't speak English. <laughs> and she was, you know, and then it hit me what was happening. You know, this, this young man was receiving the Holy Ghost speaking very fluent, very clear. I knew what he was saying. English. It's one of the best things that can ever happen to you. This thing is real, folks. This is not something that has worked up. This is real. Let's stand. Let's stand. Again, men, let's come at 5.30 to pray downstairs. Let's pray about this situation that needs to be taken care of, our financial situation for this year. God can pour it all out. We can build our fellowship hall. I'm, I'm believing it. Uh, I know that Krista had made mention that uh, I, I think uh, Sister Tyner and, and uh, 
Lori had had some ideas on raising more funds for the building fund. We're going to continue to work at it. I don't care what the economy is, we're going to work at it. What we do, faith without works. Bobby read it this morning. Faith without works is dead, being alone. So we're going to continue to work at it. And I believe God will take care. Let's raise our hands to the Lord and thank you for his blessings. God, we thank you for all that you've done. We ask God that you would move greatly upon us, strengthen us, be with us in every way. God, I know nothing is impossible with you, for all things are possible to them that believe. Grant God that in which we need the most. And I pray right now that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Lord bless you.